Hello and welcome back to Witchfix. Uh, today I'm going to be talking about Circle of Three, book six and book seven. To be honest, not a lot happens in book six and I didn't think it deserved an episode all of its own. Book six is called Ring of Light and it deals with the aftermath of book five in The Dreaming, which was the midsummer where everything got thrown up in the air and a lot of things came to light for the individual girls. Maybe not so much Kate, but, you know, the other two more interesting characters. So primarily this book deals with Cooper not being sure if she still wants to be part of the Wiccan circle that the girls have formed and Annie facing her fears of death. The primary underlying plot that kind of ties it all together is that Kate's aunt Nettie visits and aunt Nettie has cancer, which is proving quite resistant to treatment. And so Kate decides to do a healing ritual for her. And then it doesn't work and Aunt Nettie continues to get ill. So she basically has to face up to her fear of her parents finding out that she's involved in Wicca because she's advised by one of the owners of the local pagan shop that um, to do a ritual for Aunt Nettie, it has to involve her in some way. She has to be a part of her own healing, if that makes sense, which means that Kate basically has to tell her aunt that she wants to do a ritual for her and face potentially being discovered by her family and all of this Wiccan stuff coming out. Now, the book isn't terribly long. It's probably one of the longer ones in the series, just over 200 pages, but it felt long because not a huge amount happens in it. Because of the three-way split of perspective, again, as with In the Dreaming, it does feel like you're covering quite a lot of the same ground with people because it takes place over a relatively short amount of time, but we have to keep skipping between the three characters. Annie is working at a local nursing home where she befriends a, a rather curmudgeonly old man because she's trying to face up to her fear of, of losing people. Uh, and that's quite interesting I suppose on the face of it but practically the plot is quite basic and not very interesting it doesn't really go anywhere and it's quite predictable Cooper going backwards and forwards on whether she wants to be part of the circle anymore similarly covers a lot of the same ground she just basically has the same thoughts over and over again and eventually is convinced to go back by her new boyfriend TJ and then she joins up with the rest of the girls at the end and Kate, while she does introduce her family to the concept of Wicca because she asks some local people from the magic shop to come and do the ritual for her aunt, she doesn't really come out to them as being pagan herself. So it feels very much like this book is introducing a lot of things that will become relevant in other books, and indeed they do, in Blue Moon and subsequent books. But, I mean, to be fair, I think... I won't be reading Ring of Light again if I was to reread the series. There isn't a whole lot to it. The only thing that really I liked about it was that it marked a return to more realistic uh, fiction, just about pagans and Wiccans rather than about supernatural occurrences, as in In the Dreaming. So I liked that, but otherwise it felt a bit sort of like some of the elements in it could have been put into another book which was about more interesting things. Maybe they could have been blended into book seven which I'll be talking about now. Book seven of the Circle of Three series is called Blue Moon and I really enjoyed this one. It kind of interested me quite a lot. Um, basically the overarching plot of this one is that the second 
full moon in a month when a month has two full moons is called the blue moon and Annie wants to do a ritual for it but Cooper and Kate both having boyfriends now they're busy they've got other stuff they need to do so she ends up doing it by herself and because she's sort of lonely and feeling a bit down she does a ritual to call forth the goddess Freya and have her dwell with her for a while which is a practice known as aspecting um what follows from this is some good things for Annie but then also as with quite a lot of things in the Circle of Three series she takes it too far and ends up causing problems for herself and others that sounds like something that I perhaps wouldn't be interested in because it marks a sort of more fantasy turn but I got on with it quite well I thought it trod the border between fantasy and reality quite well also there were quite interesting conversations that took place in Blue Moon specifically between Kate and her mother because ever since the events of Ring of Light where they obviously performed the ritual as a family with the witches of the witch shop her parents have been viewing Annie and Cooper with suspicion and thinking you know we don't want our daughter to be associating with people who are into weird stuff like that and her mum is kind of pushing her to make up with her old friend group from book one and kind of get back in with them and Kate kind of pushes back against her and I think it's the first time we really see much of Kate as having a spine to be honest because she ends up asking her mum you know why aren't my friends good enough and why do you feel this way about them and again it feels like it's ramping things up from Ring of Light we are moving towards a confrontation with Kate's parents and I'm really excited about that because it's kind of been coming since book one and we're now in book seven like halfway through the book series so it would be nice to get that out of the way. Another good thing that happens in this book is that Sherry who is the sort of antagonist for most of the school scenes gets slapped in her bitch face and I was so happy to read that bit. I found Blue Moon interesting for a lot of reasons but also because it was the first book that I'd read for a while um, that introduced a new magical idea and new magical practice. We didn't really get that in the Ring of Light or in the Dreaming. There was more of it in what the cards said so for two books now I haven't really felt like I was learning anything about Wicca through these books which I feel like is sort of the point of them is to introduce these new ideas in each book and hearing about aspecting and learning about it has been quite interesting and it's sort of prompted me to want to read about it more. And we also see the introduction of some new characters and the returning of some old ones specifically this book involves Sasha a lot more because she's now hanging out as part of the group um Sasha being the homeless girl from book two who's been adopted by Thea a member of the coven that they're friends with uh and it's nice to have a return to her story and have her character be in it a bit more I quite like Sasha now she's brings a little bit more life to the group because I feel like quite a lot of the time they can be a bit goody goody amongst themselves but Sasha is a, a bit of a wild card to include there's also a lady who Annie meets at the old people's home where she worked um I think her name is Miss Eulalie. I think I'm saying that right. But basically, she's uh, an old lady who's just moved into the home and she has sort of psychic talents. She can see auras and speak to spirits. And it's quite nice that she's been introduced as a non Wiccan practitioner who does have these sort of abilities and who's nurtured them in herself. And um, it's just like another interesting level to add to the story. I'm going to do a reading from both books because. I felt like both had sort of interesting parts that I wanted to share with you. So this comes from near the end of Ring of Light, book six. And it is where Kate has gone to the wicker shop to talk to them about why her ritual for her aunt didn't work and why her aunt is still not getting better. 
Did your aunt know you were doing the ritual? She asked when Kate had finished. Kate shook her head. You know I can't tell my family about Wicca, she said, more defensively than she meant to. I know, Sophia remarked, but do you remember what we talked about in class about doing magic for other people against their will? But this wasn't against her will, Kate protested. It was to help her. Sophia smiled. I know that, and your ritual sounds beautiful and very thoughtful, but you still did it not knowing if that's what your aunt would want or not. Well, why wouldn't she want it? Kate asked, confused. Why wouldn't she want to get better? I didn't say she didn't want to get better, Sophia said, but in order for magic like that to work properly, the person you're doing it for has to help out as well. What do you mean? asked Kate. You mean she has to be in the circle with me? Not necessarily, Sophia answered. What I mean is that she has to want you to do the ritual for her, whether or not she physically participates doesn't really matter, although it helps. What really matters is whether or not she's open to the process. You can want to do something for someone, but if that person doesn't want you to, then all of your effort will be wasted. So if I had told her that I was doing it, she'd be better, asked Kate. Great, that makes me feel even worse. Next you'll be telling me is that all of the energy I sent out bounced back as negative energy and will cause her cancer to spread. I can assure you that is not the case, Sophia said. If the cancer spreads, it's because it's cancer, not because you did anything wrong. And to answer your other question, no, your aunt wouldn't automatically get better just because she knew you were doing the ritual. Healing magic is like any other magic. It works when the conditions are right. You can't just heal someone because you want to heal her. That would be like trying to manipulate things to work out so that you're happy. Well, maybe that's not how things are supposed to work out. You mean maybe Aunt Nettie is supposed to die? Kate asked incredulously. That's putting it too simply, Sophia said. What I mean is that your aunt's body is going through changes for some reason. When you did healing magic for her, you tried to alter the course of those changes. That's not a bad thing, but there may be reasons her body needs to go through this. In that case, you're trying to stop something that, for whatever reason, needs to occur. I don't see how not wanting her to die could be a bad thing, Kate replied. It's not a bad thing, Sophia told her. That's what I'm trying to tell you. But trying to heal her because you want her healed isn't the best way to go about it. Kate thought about what the other woman was saying. I think I get it, she said after a moment. It's like when I tried to make Scott fall in love with me. He might have done it anyway, but when I tried to force it to happen, I caused a lot of problems. Right, said Sophia. Although in this case, I don't think you caused any problems. I think you just expected too much. So if it's possible to do healing magic that works, isn't there something I could do for Aunt Nettie? Kate asked. Sophia looked thoughtful. Yes, she said. There is, but it's risky. I don't care, Kate said. Whatever it is, I'll do it. We have a lot of talented healers in our group, Sophia continued. We've often done healing rituals for people, either in our various covens or in the community. You mean we could do a group ritual, Kate asked. Sophia nodded. It might help. As you know, the more people you have working on a spell, the more powerful it can be. So why is that risky, Kate asked. It sounds great to me. You're forgetting what I said earlier, Sophia responded. You need to ask your aunt if it's what she wants. All of a sudden, Kate understood what Sophia was saying. If she wanted to help Aunt Nettie, she had to tell her about her involvement in witchcraft. There's a lot going on in that extract, and for the first time, it's not really a lot of stuff that I agree with. Usually, my feelings about pagan philosophy, if you want to call it that, kind of run in line with these books. But in this case, I'm a little bit split on it. I do believe that you can do effective magic for people without them knowing about it. The first spell that I ever performed was for a girl who I went to school with who was being bullied and it was a protection spell and I did it without her permission. 
because I hadn't learned yet that that's something that people expect you to have in some circles, that, that you would have permission of the person to do the spell. Um, I can't remember or not if she ever found out about it, but again, I think that worked fairly well. And I've done healing spells for people um, uh, when my grandparents were in hospital, for example, and also for my dog when he was ill recently, I did a healing spell for him. And obviously a dog can't really give permission one way or the other. So I don't think that consent is really an issue with healing magic or positive magic. I think it's because I view magic as being quite a lot like prayer. I wouldn't tell someone not to pray for me, I don't think. Even if that person was a Catholic and they wanted to pray to save my soul or whatever, you know, that's on them, that's part of their belief system. They think they're helping, so it's all sort of positive energy that they're sending my way at the end of it. I think there are some spells where permission is probably quite key. Um, if you're trying to find someone a romantic partner, for example, that's sort of more invasive magic, I would say, because you're not just trying to affect a positive change, you're also trying to request things on their behalf and you might not understand fully what they actually want. With healing magic as well, I think it's important to understand the actual condition that you're working against. Um, in this case, she's sending out healing energy, positive energy, but specifically with cancer, cancer is just cells dividing at an abnormal rate and putting more energy into that. I don't know if that would help because surely you're just energising it more and you need to think about how your spell's actually going to work. I do, however, agree with the book that if you can involve that person or make them aware of what you're doing then it will have more of an effect because not just the fact that um, they will add their willpower to what you're doing but also because with like the placebo effect if they know that something has happened to make them better or to protect them or any of the other stuff then they'll be more open to receiving the benefits and the rewards of that action because they'll be looking for them and I think that's what I quite liked about the ritual they do do for Aunt Nettie is that because Aunt Nettie is involved, she feels it working. She feels that she's getting better. And even if you didn't believe in magic at all, that would still give you hope and that would make you more likely to try new treatment options and fight. So there's that. So I, I kind of agree with half of what they're saying, but not with so much the other half. But I think the, the ritual they do end up doing is very good for Aunt Nettie and definitely feels more powerful and more involved because she's involved in it but I also felt that the ritual that Kate did with Annie for her aunt which her aunt was not aware of was also quite beautiful and quite effective but um, that perhaps the goal that it was working towards was not the best goal to be working towards in that situation. I'm going to do a bit of a reading from Blue Moon just um, around what Annie did in her ritual but in flicking through my dog ears, I've just sort of come across things that reminded me of why this is my favourite book out of the two. On one hand, it's because Annie is experiencing some things that I've experienced myself in life, being the one who's left out or left behind because other people have gone off with romantic partners or they have other commitments and you feel a bit left out and forgotten about. I think everyone's felt like that at some point. So it was nice to have that like represented in the text and to have someone go through that and to read it, I felt like that was a good thing to put Annie through and it gave her a chance to sort of grow as a character. Whereas the other two, Kate and Cooper, had always been ahead of her in terms of characterisation. I think Annie is catching up. Also, the conversation Kate has with her mother about um, her finding some quote-unquote normal friends, I liked that because it's representative of, I think, things that 
Wiccan teenagers might go through. It's certainly things that I, conversations I had when I was a teenager growing up, although that was in the case of maybe you should find some normal interests, but um, definitely conversations I'm familiar with. There's also some tension that comes up between uh, Cooper and her new boyfriend TJ, because Cooper has become interested in slam poetry or performance poetry um, as sort of a, an extension of her interest in singer-songwriting. And she wants to perform a poem at this big slam that she's been invited to, which is about Wicca and about being a witch. And TJ doesn't want her to do it because he thinks that if she puts herself out there, she'll get in trouble. There'll be people who are accepting, but there will be people who might be quite vocally non-accepting and that she might be put in danger and he reveals that his brother his older brother is gay and he was a victim of quite a serious gay bashing and that's why he's so worried about her and I thought that was an interesting element to bring in into the books because obviously you've got Kate's boyfriend Tyler who is a witch and her previous boyfriend Scott who didn't know anything about Wicca and now I think we've brought in a new character who is aware of Wicca and approves of it and thinks that Cooper can do whatever she wants, but who is also worried about potentially backlash from that and her getting hurt because of it. So that's an interesting perspective to bring in. And I think it kind of enriches the storyline and brings in more of these real life Wiccan elements into the story and makes it a lot more alive and a lot more complete. I thought that was worth mentioning because I did like this book in the sense that it branched out more character wise and included all of these new facets of pagan life and that's probably why I prefer it to Ring of Light and why Ring of Light is not getting its own episode. Well it's not blue, Annie thought as she looked out her window at the moon hanging full and round over the back garden, but it is beautiful. She turned away and walked into the centre of the room. She was mad. Even though Kate and Cooper had told her they couldn't come over for a ritual, Part of her had been hoping that they'd change their minds and call her that afternoon to say they were coming after all. She'd even waited for them, telling herself that they would manage to get there. But they hadn't. And she was up in her room, all alone, pacing and feeling sorry for herself. No, she thought. I'm not feeling sorry for myself. I'm angry. She was angry at her friends for bailing on her. She was angry because, they were thick, because there were things in their lives that were apparently more important than getting together for a blue moon ritual. True. Blue moons weren't the most unusual things. It wasn't like they were missing one of the big sabbats or anything. Still, a blue moon didn't come around all that often, and it would have been nice to mark the occasion with a little ritual, especially considering that they hadn't done one together in quite a while. But no, Cooper was with TJ and Kate was at home helping her mother. Only Annie was committed to making the time to do something. The problem was that she didn't know what to do. A special moon called for a special ritual, and she wanted to do something that would make her feel better about being alone. She'd been thinking about it all afternoon and hadn't come up with anything. Now it was nine o'clock, the moon was waiting and she still hadn't got any ideas. I suppose I could just cast a circle and meditate, she thought dully. But she could do that any time. This occasion called for something really interesting. Even if Kate and Cooper couldn't be there, she wanted to do a ritual she could remember and maybe even tell them about to make them wish that they'd been there to experience it with her. Only nothing was coming to her. She paced the floor for a while, walking in circles and thinking about what might be appropriate. They were between Sabbaths, so there was no particular theme to focus on. She didn't really feel like doing a spell. What else was there to do? Frustrated, she went to her bookshelf and took out one of the books she'd been reading recently about different kinds of rituals and exercises people could do to strengthen their Wiccan practice. She flipped through the book, 
looking at pages at random and hoping something might catch her attention, but it all looked pretty boring at the moment. Then, towards the back of the book, she saw an exercise called Living with a Goddess. The title was intriguing, so she stopped and read some more. One of the most useful and fascinating exercises anyone interested in learning more about the different goddesses or gods can do is to live with one for a while. No, you don't need to move to Mount Olympus or ascend to Valhalla. You can invite them to come to you. You do this by performing a ritual in which you ask your chosen deity to stay with you for a period of time. A week, a month, one cycle of the moon, etc. During this time, you ask the goddess or god you've invited for a visit to lend her or his particular gifts to you. For example, say you're feeling like your life is stuck in a rut and you want some help shaking things up a bit. You might consider calling on the Euroban goddess Oya, who has been known to clean out more than one house by turning it upside down and forcing the inhabitants to spring into action. Ask Oya to come to your house and work her magic, lending you her powers of change and sweeping your life clean with her broom. Do a ritual in which you invoke her and ask her to give you some of her strength and determination, but be careful. Make sure you really want her help, or she might sweep you out along with the dust. This ritual can be done whenever you need a little help from a particular deity, or simply when you want to learn more about a particular one in more detail. Many people say that by inviting different house guests to share their homes and lives for a time, they learn a lot about the various goddesses and gods and what gifts they have to offer. Just be sure that when it's time for the visit to end, you send her or him away with your thanks. So as I said, that's quite an interesting idea to play around with and to investigate further and maybe incorporate into my own practice. Do I agree that Annie should have just gone into aspecting Freya or aspecting any goddess when she doesn't really know a lot about the process and has only read that little bit? No, I think that it's something that would require a lot more preparation and a lot more research. Um, that you should probably know a bit about the goddess that you're aspecting before you attempt it because if you don't know all of their qualities, you're not going to know what you're in for. But aside from Annie being a bit irresponsible, which is kind of a hallmark for the characters of these books, I think it is an interesting idea and I'm glad that they included it as a sort of plot point for this book. And also because what happens with Freya in the book spurs Annie's character on a bit more and develops her further so she can kind of catch up with the other two. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at WitchFix and you can email witchfixpodcast at gmail.com with any questions or any suggestions for other things for me to read. I apologise for my slightly choky voice, but I am still getting over one of my various colds. And I hope to see you in the next episode. Bye. (laughs)